Hello, vengeance seekers and bitchly cowcorns and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us all about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hull. Our guest today, this is going to be a blast, you guys. Uh, he's a genre director extraordinaire whose credits include Wrong Turn 2, Dead End, Knights of Badassdom, uh, My Beloved Everly, uh, Mayhem, and Point Blank. His latest feature is an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation called Suitable Flesh, starring Heather Graham, Barbara Crampton, Bruce Davison, Judah Lewis, and Jonathan Sheck. It's in theaters and on VOD on October 27th. Here he is, the man, the myth, Mr. Joe Lynch. Hi, Joe! Hi, everybody. Oh, my God. I am so ready for this podcast, uh, being that I am a huge fan of it. I know you're like huge fan, but I have been listening to this since the uh, the inception of the show. Oh, and, man. Uh, yeah. And I'm I'm so stoked because this is one of those shows kind of like um, I don't know if you listen to junk food cinema, but mm -hmm. when you can get like two cineasts together and just listen to them pontificate about anything <laughs> and go off into tangents or but what I love about the show is the fact that you are so focused you know like just yeah. taking a year going through the motions but I, I find myself more times than not like being in the car listening and going like wow they really do love Ace Ventura holy shit 94 <laughs> was a great year you know like it it's it's one of those shows that you feel like you're part of the group so yeah. I'm glad that I'm finally part of it. Yeah, <laughs> well, we are we are thrilled to have you in the group. And I've, you know, I, I've wanted to talk to you for a while and then heard you recently on uh, on Pure Cinema doing the uh, the New Beverly Calendar. And I was like, uh, oh, we, we got to get Joe on the show because this this guy, you just you like the love that you have for movies is so clear in your own work. And then to also, you know, hear you sort of talk about just the things that inspire you. This is our bread and butter. So so it's it's such a pleasure to have you here. Um, and, and I'm so shocked, honestly, that no one picked this year. So I, uh, like I'm even more excited. Oh, yay. All right. Well, we're, we're going to get to that. We're, we're going to do the business of because you are promoting a motion picture at the, at the moment. And uh, we want to make sure we hit that up. Let's talk about Suitable Flesh, which is a lot of fun. Um, I want to do especially. Wait, did you talk see it? Oh yes. yeah. Oh, we yeah, both see it. Shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, wait, yeah. hold on, hold on a second. I got the. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, uh -huh. I know what that means. That that's two and a half stars on Letterboxd. It is. It is definitely not two and a half stars. <laughs> that is. All right. That is. Great. I we'll value. I value fun more than that. Um, no, I. One of the things I dig about it is how many things you get to do with it. Because I was like, I went in excited for, you know, the Lovecraft, Stuart Gordon of it all. And then, and which it totally delivers on. I want to be very clear about mm -hmm. that. I was not ready for it to also be like a 90s erotic thriller and to be like an 80s body swapping movie and to sort of to, to, to have so many other things going on, which are unexpected and great. So talk to me about that, about sort of like working through what all you could do with this particular Lovecraft story. I think all of the movies that I've done have always been a bit of a genre gumbo. Like mm -hmm. I'm always throwing in ingredients from other movies, from like, sure. from other genres and stuff, you know, much to the chagrin of some critics. They, <laughs> not everybody likes, not everybody likes the taste of that gumbo. Sure. Um, but with this one, this one was especially special to me mainly because, um, you know, Stuart was such a pivotal part of my cinematic upbringing. Of course. Um, you know, when I saw 
Reanimator or From Beyond or even Dolls. You know, some of these movies that were coming out that were in the horror section when you got to the mom and pop video store and you knew when you saw the box, you were like, that's kind of dangerous. It was almost <laughs> like being Pee Wee Herman in Pee Wee's Big Adventure where you'd like pass it like the snakes and go like, yes. Oh. <laughs> like, I didn't know if I was like cool or not to watch, you know, to watch it yet. But yeah, Stuart was one of those guys that felt like I didn't know what a cinematic provocateur was in 1985, 86, you know, sure. in that whole splatter era. Sure. Now that I look back and I can see how much his work, like along with, you know, Cronenberg and Verhoeven, um, you know, John Waters, these were filmmakers who were deliberately take, seeing where the line is and crossing over it, but doing it without completely alienating the audience. Totally. When I read it, it was an opportunity for me to feel like I could be dangerous again. You know, mm. a little bit, you know, like, again, without pissing too many people off. Right. But and then one of the major components of that was changing the genders of the lead characters, because in the original script and in the original story that H.P. Lovecraft did, um, the the genders were male. And oh, honestly, fuck. I was like, yeah, like if this was a script that was produced in 1995. Right. Michael Douglas would have been the star. Right. Hmm. Times have changed a little bit. Right. You know? and, like that, that's kind of where there's one line in the movie where so, like a, a pivotal character says like the future is female. And, you know, like we, we kind of did that almost as a nod to the creative idea behind switching this thing up and yeah. switching the genders up and everything. And immediately by doing that, it felt like something that Stuart Gordon would have done. Yeah. Well, no, for whatever it's worth, like I, I was not familiar with the original source story. I would never have guessed that you did a gender swap there. It feels extremely natural. It totally makes sense. It does It does not call attention to itself in any way. If you know Lovecraft, he did not uh, favor the female protagonist <laughs> very often. You right. know? So to right. do that, like I, I, every time we talk about it, it's like you know that somewhere his old bones are spinning in his grave <laughs> right now. But Good. Hey, you wrote it, pal. We're, we're here to subvert it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you got to, to work with Barbara, you know, to direct her. Like, what is what is that experience like to sort of work with like a, with an icon? I had uh, worked with Barbara earlier um, on an episode of Creep Show. Oh, OK. And uh, this was right before. But this was around the time that she was already asking me about suitable flesh. So I like because we were talking, I was like, what about Barbara to be in this episode of Creep Show? And I did it secretly as an audition totally. so that she could see that I can make my day. Nice. Like, I, I had my producer on the next film. Nice. Professional move. Fucking making my day, Barbara. I'm doing Smart. this. And she saw that. Well, that's great. Well, Joe, congrats on the movie. It really is. It's terrific. It's funny. It's scary. It's sexy. It does all the things. It does all the things you want a movie to do. So I'm I'm glad it. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad that we were able to talk to you about it. All right. Let's get down to business. What year did you pick for us to discuss and why? I picked 1990. And the reason why I picked 1990 was from both a personal place, uh, but also a, I'd say like a zeitgeist moment in the genre. Okay. Um, not only was the official last film of the 80s still playing in theaters in the beginning of 1990, which was Tango and Cash. Oh, hey. yeah. The amazing <laughs> Tango and Cash. But this was also, when you think about the movies that were produced that were released at the time, we were still in the 80s, so right. to speak. There was still an 80s sensibility. That said, 
I can look back at the 1990 and look at all the films and there are so many seminal films that I think uh, really created a, a rhythm for the rest of the decade that unfortunately, you know, whenever you talk to, to people about like horror, for example, in the 90s, people go, oh, terrible, terrible decade. But we started out so fucking good in 1990. Yeah. And then it what and then nobody talks about 1990 yet. You know, everybody waits until like 96 when it comes to scream. Right. But there are so many films in that year alone that not only changed and at least bolstered the genre for, you know, maybe a couple of years, but changed me as both a person, but also as a, as a budding filmmaker. And and just so we sort of have our 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 personal story in a row. Where is Joe Lynch as, as a human being in the year 1990? How old are you? What is your movie going life like? Very, very good uh, question. Um, I was uh, 14. Okay. And I was an avid, at that point, I knew that I wanted to be a director. So I was absorbing everything. I was also the kid that uh, lived about two miles away from the Brookhaven multiplex in Long Island and would sneak into about four to five movies every Saturday. There you go. So I was seeing everything. And my uh, my choices were based not on the particular movie. It was, well, what, what can I get to from the 115 to the 315 and then the 315 to the 515? So I was seeing everything. I was absorbing so many films that I might not have if I was a little more discernible with my tastes, mm -hmm. I was just like, I was taking it all in. And this was also at a point um, where genre was really becoming, you know, I, I'd say a huge, all of my heroes in the eighties were now starting to weave themselves into the Hollywood system. So I felt like I was like going along for the ride with a lot of these. And some of them, you know, are, are parts of our choices, but th this was a point where, my brain was shifting from just being a passive viewer to being a more um, subjective consumer of the art form and seeing like, and reading up a lot more on these, not just in Fangoria, but in like Cinefantastique and um, American Cinematographer at the time. Like I was really starting to like hone in on all of the different facets of what does it take to make a movie? Yeah. So that was like, to me, that's a pivotal moment, in, at least in my upbringing, because it was where it was right. And it was right before I had um, gone to high school. So I was starting junior high and this is a dumb little anecdote, but my parents took me out of my public school because uh, a kid came in with a gun one day. Mm. So they're like, you're out, yep. you're out. Yep. So they sent me, so they sent me to uh, what they didn't tell me at the time was a military academy. Oh God. And, uh, the, yeah, no one told me this at the time. They <laughs> called it a preparatory school. Uh -huh. And uh, when we get to when we get to one of the titles, I will tell you a funny story about how I almost got kicked out of that preparatory school uh -huh. because I took the whole class to go see that movie. So, <laughs> yeah, this is this is going to be great. All right, okay. Well, we are going to hear all about that and your other 1990 movie going adventures. But first, we're going to hear a little bit more about what was going on in the world outside of the multiplex in Long Island. Here's Mike with some headlines. Good evening. For 27 years, six months and six days, he had been a prisoner. During that time, he became a legend, a symbol of black resistance to apartheid, and to many, he became a martyr. Tonight... He is a free man. In February, Nelson Mandela was released from prison after 27 years. February 11th, in fact. Unless you're in the alternate reality where he died in prison. 
Okay, sure. But for most of us... Uh, <laughs> no, this is the whole wow, thing. Shit. This is the whole thing. This wow, is shit got dark. The Mandela effect. This is the whole, like, it's... it's if You if you may live in a reality where he died in prison and they're called the Bernstein Bears. I don't claim that this stuff <laughs> is true. I'm just saying, go do some Googling and you'll see what I mean. Your, mul- your multiverse is fucking dark. <laughs> it is. Right now. Holy sure shit. Is. In March, 12 paintings and a Shang Dynasty vase worth a couple hundred mil. It's a vase when it's worth millions and millions yes. of dollars. It's not a vase. <laughs> were stolen from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston by two guys who posed as police officers. Mm-hmm. And they are definitely not hanging in Jason's bedroom right now. I have a clear-cut alibi. I've made it uh, very clear to the authorities, and I'd like no more questions about it, please. It was a hellish scene in the pre-dawn darkness on Southern Boulevard. So many bodies, so many people killed with savage swiftness by a fire that raced through the illegal bar and dance club, cruelly named the Happy Land Social Club, where 87 people died this morning in the Bronx. Also in March was the Happy Land fire in the Bronx. Does anybody know about this? The Happy Land fire? Have you ever heard about this? No. Somehow no. this was I, this was unfamiliar to me until very recently. A guy burned down an illegal nightclub because he was mad at a lady who worked there. They had been dating. It was, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, misogyny will kill you, bro. 87 right. people died, the most in a fire in New York City since the Triangle Shirtwaist tragedy. This was Jesus. in 1990, and I've never heard of it until very recently. Was Great White playing there? <laughs> it was a, it was a Honduran after hours spot, which of course so is maybe. why we've never heard of it because yeah, yeah, of course, right. So, uh, in April was the launch of the Hubble telescope. Cool camera. Wish they'd make a movie out of it. Mm-hmm. Like right, like what kind of shot have they ever pointed that thing back at the blue dot? I bet you get some wild pictures. No, I bet you're right. I don't, I'll bet you're right. I obviously don't know how the Hubble Space Telescope works. In May, the w, the uh, the World Health Organization removed homosexuality from its list of diseases. In 1990. It's like are we supposed Holy to celebrate shit. that? I don't Holy think we really celebrate that. I think we're mad about the fact that it took so long. And Torch Song Trilogy went right into production. <laughs> Crazy. And Germany started the process of reunification, like the currency. They started removing some internal borders, they were called, stuff like that. So that's good. Here's the thing. It's gauche anymore to quote Dennis Miller, but I still remember this line from a 1990 Dennis Miller HBO stand-up special, which was, I look at the reunification of Germany like I look at a potential Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis reunion. Did not really enjoy the uh, the old material. Not looking forward to the new stuff very much. <laughs> See, th- that didn't work. You got to do it in, in his voice. <laughs> I can't. I am not. I oh, I would like on. to maintain. Come on, babe. Look, babe. No, see, because it always just it turns into Sammy Damn Davis it, we Jr. Got it. it turns into Sammy Davis Jr. like like that in a snap. I can't do it. I can't do it. Now, if Sammy Davis Jr. starred in Bordello of Blood, <laughs> now that's a now that's a multiverse two, movie please. that I would get behind. Two tickets, please. Also in June, the Anglican Church ordained two women as priests. The first time that had ever happened. So here we are with this gay people aren't okay. disease thing again. Like I guess we're supposed All to right. be happy about that, but anyway, yeah. welcome to the nineties. Uh, in July was the Hajj Stampede when 1,426 people were killed in a pedestrian Jesus. tunnel in Mecca. Jesus. Damn, son. You thought soccer riots were bad. On July okay. 8th, here's some fun news. Using American time and dating formats, at 12, 34, and 56 seconds on July 8th, <laughs> 1990, you would write that as uh-huh. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, uh-huh. 6, 7, 8, 9, 0. 
Hey, that's not that's fun, doesn't it? No, this is not. Nobody that's likes fun, that Mike. news. That's that's uh, that's really enjoyable. Yes, thank you. And now I sign legislation, which takes a sledgehammer to another wall, one which has. which has for too many generations separated Americans with disabilities from the freedom they could glimpse but not grasp. Also in July, George H.W. Bush signed the Americans with Disabilities Act, making this place a little more livable for some of our neighbors. Hooray for that. In August, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait and started that whole fucking thing. Boy, way to bury the lead. Holy shit. That's where, that's where you ended? Oh, by the way, that whole thing. A lot of it happened next year. So, you know, as long as we're yeah. focused on 1990, that was the main right. thing. Germany right. was officially reunified in October. Uh, and uh-huh. I agree with Dennis Miller. We're keeping a fucking eye on him. And in November, President Bush signed the Clean Air Act. Was this guy a Democrat or what? <laughs> we lost an incredible cast of stars in 1990, starting with Jim Henson. Damn, oh, rest bro. in peace. I mean, yeah. really, we could just stop there. But do you guys remember when he had his funeral? Yeah, and, like and there was this, big bird. Like, big bird sang. Oh my god! And then they had, like he mandated that everyone wore white. Mm. And I mean, I, I remember when that was. If if it was today, it would have been live streamed. Yeah, we would have all been watching. Um, yeah, that was that was one that hurt. Yeah, so many people on so many generations. Yeah. You've heard of a few other people that died. We'll we'll read their names, right. but Henson really is the one, right? Ava Gardner, yeah, Sammy yeah. Davis Jr., Barbara Stanwyck, Greta Garbo. Oh. I told you some famous people. Leonard Bernstein, yeah. Irene Dunn, Vic Tabak, absolute fucking lunatic. Curtis LeMay died big mad. I assume he died big yeah. mad. He fucking lived big mad. I assume he sure died big did. mad. Uh, singer sure Sarah did. Vaughn, Pearl Bailey, comedian Robin Harris. Small world! Baby's kids. Holy shit. Art Blakey, Dexter Gordon, Keith Haring, Jackie Matu from the Scottalites, the Reverend Ralph Abernathy, who doesn't get uh, enough attention in our mm-hmm. in our modern world. And finally, Stevie Ray Vaughan died in 1990 uh, at the height of his powers, the height of his abilities. Yeah. It, it appears that Tyson is virtually a one-eyed fighter at this point. A desperate one-eyed fighter. Rolling willingly just to try to get in the shot that will finish things in. Oh, the uppercut. What an uppercut by Douglas. And down goes Tyson. In sports, Mike Tyson lost for the first time in his professional career. Knocked the fuck out by Buster Douglas in the 10th round of a fight no one thought was going to go longer than a bathroom break. I remember that. That is why you train for your title bouts, boxers. There you go. This was one of Susan Butcher's big years at the Iditarod behind Sluggo and Lightning. I know you love the Iditarod news. I, Phil, boy, Taylor, do I. <laughs> Phil Taylor won his first world darts title in what would be a storied career. Taylor is considered by many to be the greatest darts player in history. And this is the year he was putting everyone on notice. And finally. <laughs> in, in darts. In darts. In darts. You can't yeah. sound badass. You can't, you can't say putting people on notice for, for darts. Bro, he could put two of those things in in your eye before you could say his whole name where is he putting people on notice in the neighborhood pub like what are you talking about yeah in the pubs this is a big deal All if right. you see him okay. he's exactly what you think a darts athlete would look like <laughs> <laughs> and finally there was a world cup in 1990 it was hosted by italy Yay. and won by west germany this was the last time west germany won a world cup because there wasn't a west germany uh after that 
West Germany yeah. beat Argentina in the final. Overall, the 1990 World Cup had the fewest goals and the most red cards of any World Cup. So if you're just learning about soccer, maybe don't start here. <laughs> that's sports and that's headlines. Thank you, Mike. Joe Lynch, ready to do a top five? Let's go. All right. Now, we uh, we decided the, the order on this one, this is just instinctual. This is just the order Joe sent it to me in, and, and it feels right. So, Joe, what is the first film on your top five of 1990? In no discernible order, uh, the first one is going to be Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Boone and Laurie. They were warned to stay away. Ain't nothing but dead folk. But didn't listen. Now, they're no longer lovers. For she's become the hunted. And he's become one of the night breed. From the creator of Hellraiser, Nightbreed, rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. You know, when, when you read Fangoria, you knew that there was a significant entry into the horror genre when Fango would do five articles. Mm. You know, there would be five five articles over the course of five issues where they were talking about Clive Barker and they were talking about the cast and they were talking about Bob Keane, the, uh, the makeup effects artist. They would show all of the portraits of all the creatures. And Nightbreed to me was, I'm sure, how Marvel fans felt when the Avengers was coming out. Okay. This was, and, and to top it all off, Wait, David Cronenberg is the serial killer bad guy in this film? How the fuck can you go wrong? Yes. Well, and you so this is the, this is gets to the story about my school. Oh, so boy. I saw it the I saw it the, the night before I was going on a school trip with the chorus at LaSalle Military Academy. Again, they when they said LaSalle, they didn't they forgot to mention the military yeah. academy part. So yeah. at the, by the time I got dropped off, I'm like, what the fuck? Why are those people marching? So the night before my uh my aunt Donna, who was the uh, one of my um I guess you could say my uh sugar mamas when it came to getting like bootlegs of videos from the video store, sure. like she's the one who got me Robocop and Friday the 13th part five. And uh she took me to go see Nightbreed with one of the kids that was going to with me on this trip. And uh, this movie shook me so hard to the core because not only was I like going, you know, because I didn't have the acumen of Frankenstein or all these sympathetic monsters from the 30s sure. that were, you know, subjectively showing the creature is not the real enemy here. It's, it, you know, it's more human than human. Hey. <laughs> um, but not only that, but every scene that Cronenberg was in was absolutely terrifying. Mm -hmm. uh, like there's so much to this movie that was at that time in that moment from a filmmaking standpoint, from a story standpoint, from even just an identity standpoint, this was, I felt like a freak as a kid. I felt like a monster. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was an outcast. Mm -hmm. So here was a movie that was embracing that was saying, come to Midian and hang out with all of us, you know, right. cool creatures. Cause right. look at all the shit, crazy designs that we look like. But also, by the way, watch out for the guy who directed Videodrome. He will kill you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was so pumped about this movie afterwards. I got on a train. We all took, uh, like, actually, no, we took the plane to uh, to Florida, to Walt Disney World, where they were having this chorus competition. And it was me and 20 other kids. 
this was in February. I went to this multiplex and I decided, hey, everybody, let's go to the movies. <laughs> and they're like, that sounds great. What are we seeing? And I didn't tell them what we were going to see. And if you remember, the poster for Nightbreed was awful. Mm -hmm. It was just the eyes of, um, of the lead actress. And it was all warped and everything. You had no clue that there were monsters in it. Right. You, had n you had no context whatsoever. So when I took them to go see it, they all sat down. We all had a popcorn. And I don't know if you guys remember the movie, but there's a scene in the film in the middle of the film where David Cronenberg um, ties up ties up this hapless old man and stabs him repeatedly with um, while he's being tied up with like Christmas uh, lights. I didn't know until much later on that that was a reshoot because they were like the studio executives were like, we need more of that that crazy guy with the funky mask. <laughs> um, so I we watched the movie and. Uh, at least four of the kids left. And now this is a bunch of 13, 14 year olds running around fucking Disney world at right. night. And I had lost four of them. <laughs> the next day I got a knock on my, my door and the hotel door. And it was uh, our chaperone. Who was also the principal <laughs> who basically sat me down and said, we've got number of complaints, <laughs> a number that you took a number that you took, a bunch of the other students to go see uh, a very, very scary movie. And that is against our policy. We're going to talk to your parents and maybe we'll let you stay in school. Wow. So I had to spend the rest of the trip going, I'm on double secret <laughs> probation because of fucking <laughs> really. All right, Joe, let's, uh, let's keep going down this sort of dark alleyway of, uh, of 1990 yes. cinema. Uh, what is the next film on your random yet yet sensical 1990 list? The next film I have is the Sam Raimi superhero monster mashup, Darkman. Who is Darkman? I gotta tell you something about me. He's a cockroach. You think you're killing him? And he pops up someplace else. In the darkest hour... There's a light that shines on every human being. But one. Dark Man. Rated R. Uh, this is another one of those filmmakers that I was I was like traveling with, sure. you know, like 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 being a fan of the Grateful Dead and going from city to city <laughs> to city. I would go wherever Sam Raimi went, yeah. I was going to follow. Yeah. So to go from you know, uh, obviously we got Evil Dead to Crime Wave. Yeah, what are you going to do? But the Evil Dead 2 is such a significant film yeah. in my upbringing, just very much like um, uh, like Reanimator. Yeah. It was one of those films that rewired my thinking of cinema, not just, you know, the, the way that you can balance tones, but insert shots, snap zooms, right. whip pans, everything that I was going pluck, pluck, <laughs> pluck, that I'm gonna take that one. Yeah. I'm gonna pull this one. I'm gonna take all those tools. Yeah. Like fuck you, Edgar. Right? I, you did not. You did not make the montage first. I love you, Edgar. Don't trust me. But Dark Man was to me like, and again, Dark Man was a, a director's leap from more indie cinema fare, mm -hmm. becoming kind of like a a, a cult auteur, mm -hmm. and then being thrust into the Hollywood yep. system. Yep, a universal release. From yeah. what I remember, he was supposed to direct The Shadow. And because of a rights issue, they said, nope, you can't do the shadow. He said, well, fine, I'll fuck it. I'll make my own shadow. <laughs> yeah, and that's yeah. where Dark Man came from. Nice. And it's so, it, like, it, it is so much uh, an example of how Raimi 
ultimately went on to reinvent the superhero genre again with Spider-Man, he was already playing in that like graphic novel form with like the, the way that he uses framing, the way he used um, oh his transitions, editing, the way that he his transitions they felt like I I can't remember a movie back then because I was reading a lot of comic books that completely encapsulated the feeling of flipping pages mm-hmm. and and letting a story unfold visually like that right. and at that point you know Liam Neeson was not Liam Neeson right. he was you know that guy in Next of Kin right <laughs> you know he, you know he was he was not who we knew Liam Neeson to be now yeah. so you know I, I had no clue and anybody who knows Darkman and you just say, you know, the fucking elephant. You, you like, you have a, a secret handshake between people. But yeah, and also a real hoot of a Frances McDormand performance. I always like to see her so playing great. in the genre sandbox. Um, have you seen any of the uh, direct-to-video Darkman sequels? Of course, Die Darkman Die, uh, Alonzo Vulzu <laughs> and Je- Jeff Fahey. Th- th- now, truth be told, they are not as um, vibrant, and they're not as they don't have that quite that that rainy touch. Um, But for direct video films, it was one of the films that I actually used as an example to say, like you can make a sequel in in a direct video world still kind of pop. When I was doing wrong turn Two, I used that one of them. And as an example, Um, but yeah, you know, they not not quite there, but still pretty damn good. There we go. All right. For the next movie on your list, Joe Lynch, let's get even seedier. Let's get even a little, uh, a little scuzzier. Uh, where would we go and, and who would take us there? Well, there is no one better to take us to the under the, the dark neon enriched underbelly of New York city than one able fucking Ferrara with 1990s King of New York. Frank White is a free man. How come you never came to see me? We wanted to see you in a cage, man. He served his time. What can we expect from the reformed Frank White? I want to be mayor. But some things don't change. From here on, nothing goes down unless I'm involved. King of New York. Expected to get away with killing all these people? I never killed anybody that didn't deserve it. Rated R. The, the thing that fucking blows my mind about King of New York, which is one of my favorite Abel movies. Speaking of blow. <laughs> <laughs> which is one of my favorite Abel movies is like mm-hmm. whoever his casting director was on this movie, like holy fucking oh shit. Christopher Walken. Had a crystal ball. Yes. <laughs> like new, like those guys are going to be huge. Give them five years and they're all going to be fucking huge. Christopher Walken, Wesley Snipes, Larry Fishburne, David Caruso, Victor Argo, Giancarlo Esposito, Steve Buscemi, Paul Calderon, Roger Guinevere Smith. This whole, you look, when the cast list comes up, it's like the, the Vince McMahon meme, like slowly <laughs> coming to life on the, the screen ahead of you. Um, what is it? But but you, you're right that Abel was very busy in the 90s. He was doing a lot of things in the 90s. What about this movie do you think is so sort of spectacular and so quintessentially Abel? Uh, the, the, I, again, he is one of those directors that I knew as a kid because he made Miss 45, mm. which I heard, like, I remember watching and going, this movie is fucked up mm. and thriller killer. Mm. Holy mm-hmm. shit. All, but you know, China girl and, um, you know, and what is it? Uh, Fear city, fear city. Yeah. You know, another, another very kind of misunderstood film of the time. 
And you, every time that Abel came out with a movie around then, you go, all right, who who did he have shit on? <laughs> like you could, someone would actually give him money to be able to do that because he, to me, he was a cinematic pirate. Oh, yeah. He was he was the scourge of cinema that was just blasting in and doing his own thing. And then after this, he did Bad Lieutenant, which was a complete mm-hmm. 180. The thing, the reason why I bring this up is because everybody at the time in 1990 was talking about uh, New Jack City yeah. and how Mario Van Peebles' version of um, New York City, which is, they, they would make a great double feature if you wanted that more MTV-ish, mm-hmm. hyper-stylized version of New York. Abel got the Robin Hood element of King of New York. And with the swagger of Christopher Walken behind him, he was able to make this. Abel was able to make a fable (laughs) that is unparalleled to a lot of the crime films of the time, because it was something that he had learned. I, um, I, I got to talk to Abel about this um, like a year and a half ago when we had him on our, our show, the movie crypt. And I've been a fan of his forever. I love the whole New York City sleaze core thing that he fostered. But when talking to him about how he learned a lot of the stylistic tricks that he used for um, King of New York from Michael Mann and from wow. when he was working on Miami Vice. Yeah. So he was able to use a lot of that stuff. And then with Nicholas St. John's script, he was able to capture a time period of New York that is gone now, yeah. you know, but there was a danger to take the train into New York city because you might get mugged. And if that happened, well, that's just fucking life. Yeah. But the fact that everyone else honed in on, um, new Jack city at the time, I like, I remember seeing, I didn't, I never got to see King of New York, um, in the theater because it bombed. Yeah. It not only did it bomb, but when they showed it at the New York Film Festival, when it premiered, it was boo. Wow. I'm starting to see a trend here with all yeah. the films that I picked. That they were all real, yeah. real turkeys when they first came right. out, but have been reassessed since. Yeah. But it, um, when you get to watch it again, yes, you know, there's the the popular turn uh, term. What is it? Uh, cocaine fueled cinema. Mm-hmm. This is definitely one of those. Mm-hmm. But you know, seeing how Abel was able to. Um, transport his style it was very much the way that, that Clyde did and even um even Sam Raimi did they were he was porting his style in a way that felt slick and fresh and yeah. I can't think of a better Christopher Walken performance at least in that era yeah. other than maybe Brainstorm yeah that was like if you can take the 80s and go from Brainstorm to King of New York like that's the the two sides of the pendulum with Christopher Walken that is amazing and it's still holds up so fantastically today. And you're right. There's so many people in that cast that you just go, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) Holy shit. Like, wow. It's, it's, it's a spectacular feat of uh, cinema that I'm so glad once that, um, that arrow, uh, films, uh, Blu-ray came out a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, it feels like everyone has reassessed the film and, uh, and, and I'm so glad that people talk about it as, reverently as they do or they they should have back in the day okay for the next movie on your list we finally have one that was a commercial and critical and awards success so so joe what is the big sellout movie number four on your list uh this one's a huge one for me for multiple reasons and that is rob reiner's misery somewhere in the middle of nowhere America's number one author just met his number one fan. I think old Sheldon might be in some kind of trouble. 
Don't even think about anybody coming for you. Directed by Rob Reiner. From the novel by Stephen King. Trust me, it's for the best. Misery, rated R. Starts Friday, November 30th at select theaters. Rob Reiner. Well, when you were growing up as a kid, he was the pre- he yeah. was the proto Darabont. Oh yeah, he was the guy that knew King better than you know, most of the other filmmakers who were trying to tackle him. Between yep. you know, Stand by Me, calling his production company Castle Rock. Yep. Misery is a, is the film that taught me the value of an audience experience. Mm. Uh, I saw ready. I saw Misery eleven times in the holy theater. fuck, Joe. God damn. I'm not fucking around. God damn. When I would tell you, I would go to Brookhaven Multiplex. I would make sure that I ended each night in that time that it came (laughs) out. I ended each night with a screening of Misery. And I would sit in the front row. I was that that weird little kid who sat in the front row and turned around during the hobbling scene just to watch the entire crowd erupt. Erupt. I was a fucking junkie for misery because that film twists the audience mm-hmm. and for a chamber piece with essentially two, maybe three people, if you count Richard Farnsworth, right. but there's not a lot of shit going on in that movie yet. You have Barry Sonnenfeld's spectacular cinematography. Yep. You have William, William Goldman's script, yep. which was, you know, obviously adapting Stephen King, but you know what? Honestly, I think the movie's better than the book. I okay. really do. And, I, and that this is coming from a huge yeah, yeah. King devotee. I yeah, know yeah, yeah. Uh, Wampler's like, what the fuck, Lynch? <laughs> but it's, it, it's true. I think that what Goldman was able to do with that idea, and then you have James Caan and, and uh, Kathy Bates together. Yeah. It was every time because it was scary. It was funny. It was one of those movies that made, again, that made me go, you can do both mm-hmm. really like, and you can care about the characters, but 11 times guys, wow. I would go to that theater, sit in the front and wait. And when that crowd exploded, when the fucking hobbling scene happened, I went, I want that. I yeah. want to chase that. And I've been chasing it ever since there's a, there's a moment in suitable flesh uh, and if you know it, the, uh, the uh, moment, <laughs> right? You know which one I'm talking about. <clears throat> that is that is me jonesing for that hobbling scene. That's that's what I was going for. But then wow. you know three times, of course. But yeah, like it's just it's amazing to think that the same guy who did Spinal Tap made arguably one of the scariest movies to kick off the '90s. Yeah, because it is. It's legitimately scary. Yeah. But like that's that's the power of the power of the Reiner. Yeah. Is that there's a guy that can do anything. Yeah. No, I mean, the thing is about Reiner, who, you know, I, I, I enjoy um, his his voice these days. I enjoy when I see him in movies. Hasn't directed a great movie in kind of a hot minute. But the run, that, minute. the run that he went on from like 84 to 92, this man made this is Spinal Tap, The Sure Thing, Stand By Me. Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men. Like that is a run that you that you is unfuckwithable. Like yep. and all doing different things in different genres. He's he was a really sturdy craftsman and a hell of a journeyman and he just went on a tear in this period and this he he was one of those those directors that like when you hear the word journeyman now yeah. it's kind of a it's a it's a bit of a bad word mm-hmm. or it's like it's something that feels a bit of an insult mm-hmm. whereas he and ron howard were two guys that were journeyman directors but 
they could do no wrong yeah. for a very long yeah. time. And they could say, I don't care about genre. I care about story and character and style. And they all come together. And they knew it so well. I watch this movie every time I finish writing something. <laughs> it's like the cigarette. Wow. You know what I mean? Like he has that one cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Like every time I yes. finish writing, yep. like I'm like, all right, this one's done. I love it. I watch this movie. And I don't know why. Like, Because at first, the first time I finished, I wrote a novel just to fucking write one. I don't know. Like I just had an idea and I couldn't get out of my head. And for the last probably 50 pages, all I could think about was him lighting that cigarette. In that movie where he lights the match and he's like done and he yep. lights the cigarette. And so then when I actually finished the novel, I was like, let me watch that scene. Well, you're not going to watch that fucking scene. You're going to watch the movie. <laughs> you're going to watch the whole, whole fucking scene. So it started yep. a thing where every time I finish writing a thing, I watch Misery. What a great That's fucking beautiful. movie, dude. Yeah, That's beautiful. Yeah, beautiful movie. Yeah. All right, Joe. Well, you know, this it, we're at the fifth of five. I mean, it's this has got there was we haven't talked about a lot of amazing 1990 movies. So probably the fifth film on your list is some, you know, big commercial smash from that year, one of the one of the many critically heralded or or, or blockbusters of 1990. What is the fifth film on your list, Joe Lynch? This was a tough one, but this is one that is near and dear to my motherfucking heart. It is <clears throat> The Greg Champion Dabney Coleman classic that you've never heard of, Short Time. After a mix up at the hospital, Detective Bert Simpson thinks he's got two weeks to live. What's the difference if it happens? It happens. But if he can go in the line of duty, All right. his family will be set for life. Nobody. But getting killed isn't as easy as it looks. Short Time. You're missing me again, you idiot. Rated PG-13. And I am here to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the thank you at the top. Sometimes I put it at the end of when we're talking about it. Short Time is a movie I have meant to watch since 1990. We're about the same age. I remember when it came out. I remember seeing it on Siskel and Ebert th and thinking this is a delicious premise. I'll bet this movie's great. And then it was in theaters for like a week and a half and I never got around to seeing it. And it was released by Fox. So now it's like basically impossible to Look, see. I grew up with Dabney Coleman. I'm sure you guys oh, did. Yeah. And Dabney Coleman was always the mustachioed asshole. Yep. In nine to five, in my favorite movie of all time, Hot to Trot. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> Tootsie. You know, he was he was well, yeah. Tootsie, at least you know he's a, he's a lovable asshole yeah. in that, but he's always playing the asshole. <laughs> totally. Here was the first time that I remember that Dabney Coleman plays a motherfucking hero, yeah. and he is so good at it. Yeah, this movie is very hard to find. I highly recommend going to your mom and pop video store if it's around. I think it was on YouTube for a little while. Mm -hmm. This is one that I would kill for some company like Vinegar Syndrome or Shout or whoever to put this out because. You will not. You cannot not fall in love with Dabney Coleman. The cast is fucking amazing. You got Matt Frewer, uh, Terry Gar, Joey Joey Pants, Joey Pants. Xander Berkeley's in it. Um, it has, and this is the re main reason why I bring this up. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put this on record. Best car chase scene since French Connection. <laughs> Hands down. Yeah. Hands down. And I know no, it's there's great. somebody listening right there, like right now, driving along, going like, what the fuck? <laughs> it is so well done. Yeah. It is a Greg, Greg, Greg uh, Champion, the director, was known more as a producer than anything else. And, um, you know, but he, this was all shot in Vancouver, but it was, it, it is so well crafted, so much so that if you 
do want to get a taste of short time. I actually did a bootleg music video for the band 311 where I remixed the car chase <laughs> from short time yeah. into one of their songs. And at the time, no one had the rights. So it was technically public domain. I think it still is actually. Yeah. So I've never felt closer to a person in my life. <laughs> I made a bootleg 311 video out of a dub Dabney Coleman movie. I've never felt more seen or understood as a person. I've never felt closer to someone. What's funny is that I I've known those guys for years and like, they were like, well, we're not going to do a video for you know, this album. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> give me a, give me, give me 24 hours, boys. I did it. I sent it to them and they put it out as their official video. Nice. You know, So it was bootleg by heart. But the band endorsed it. They nice. fucking loved it. They were like, Deb Debney Coleman's in our video. Great. <laughs> so if if you're ever inclined to see a, just a taste of that movie, yeah. but set to the to the loving strains of 311. Yeah. Uh, it's called 311 versus Short Time. It's out there on the internet now, but check it out. Like it. And you will see how fucking amazing not just that scene is, but just the gravitas that Dabney Coleman gives as a hero. Yeah. It is a shame that that movie is not more loved today. And I'm hoping that maybe one or two people out there goes, maybe I should look that up yeah. and they'll go, Oh my God, Joe Lynch was right. <laughs> well, I'm here. I'll tell it to you now. Joe Lynch was right. Short time fucking rips. Um, and honestly, that I think the mistake they made was that I remember it being marketed very much as just a straight comedy when you're right. It's a, yeah. it's a really killer, like in that mold of like late eighties action comedies, yeah. you're running scareds, you're, you're Beverly Hills cops. Yes. Like it is very much mm -hmm. in that wheelhouse. Um, I'm glad that you brought up um, Beverly Hills Cop. It is a Martin Brest movie that Martin Brest didn't direct. There you go. Sold. Take yeah. it to the bank, kids. All right, Joe, thank you for that killer top five. Uh, so many bangers on here. Let's find out what films were winning trophies and making money. Here's Mike with awards and box office. Sell out with me. Oh, yeah. Sell out with me tonight. This is gonna this is gonna be a disappointment, frankly, after the list we just did. <laughs> Some of these are good. Some of these are good. Some of these are good. Yeah. Is short time in any of these? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. That's Probably. the problem. Yeah. 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 Best picture, best director to Kevin Costner, best adapted screenplay to Michael Blake for Dances with Wolves. Boo. <clears throat> Boo. 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but fucking good fellas. This is one of those years that yes. you have to look back and go. Yeah. Fellas, yeah, come on. you know, like was 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 fucking Harvey Weinstein part of the marketing <laughs> for Dances with Wolves? I don't know if you guys have recently watched Dances with Wolves. I revisited it a couple of years ago and it it I put me to fucking. Yeah, sleep. I'm sorry. Yeah. I love Kevin Costner in yeah. certain respects. This yeah. that you can't not watch Goodfellas every single time Correct. it pops on anytime. Correct. You know, so all of these should all be Goodfellas. Go. I'm just putting that out there. Now. There we go. Best actor went to Jeremy Irons for Reversal of Fortune. Finally saw that recently. That's Fair. that's a good, that's a solid Barbe Schroeder movie. And Jeremy Irons is yeah. really good at it. Really good. Yeah. Uh, opaque. Well, kind of well thing. earned. Yeah. yeah. Best actress went to Kathy Bates. And if it hadn't, have, we'd have burned this motherfucker down for misery. <laughs> yep. yep. Well yep. deserved. Well deserved. A star is born. Best yes, supporting indeed. actor to Joe Pesci for Goodfellas. I don't even want to talk about this because we'll be here all yeah. night. Yeah. 
that all here's all I will say. I will put the clip of him accepting uh, the Oscar um, in into extra credit reading for this week because it's one of my favorite Oscar acceptances because Joe Pesci, who won for playing this motor mouth psycho killer, gets up there and basically just says, oh, wow, thank you. It was my pleasure and leaves. He's it's like an 11 word acceptance speech. And it's so graceful and chill and awesome. And I love Joe Pesci so much. It was an ultimate mic drop. I'm being yeah, a little shit yeah. about Dances with Wolves, but Kathy Bates won Best Actress and Joe Pesci won Best, you know, Best right? Supporting. I mean, okay, let me let me stop with my mouth. Best Supporting Actress went to Whoopi Goldberg and Best Original Screenplay to Bruce Joel Rubin for Ghost. Uh, Joe, where do you land on Ghost? I love Jacob's Ladder, guys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am not the biggest fan of Ghost, mainly because it came out the same weekend as Exorcist 3. So I'm a little biased. Mm-hmm. I, I, and everyone else went to go see fucking Ghost. Sure and I'm sitting there in a, in a theater going, there's much better cinema going on right here, guys. I don't know what you guys are missing here. Um, yeah. So, but you know what though? Whoopi was, you know, Whoopi was at that point, she was a movie star. Yeah. And the fact that she took a step back and took a supporting role, mm-hmm. um, I thought was something that like you you get Oscars for because they didn't do, you know, Jumpin' Jack Flash 2 right. or Burglar right, or whatever right, right. those movies were. Yeah. I will say this. I do appreciate uh, that that uh, Vincent Schiavelli got a nice little showcase role in Ghost. I think that that sequence is pretty great. Best foreign film went to Cinema Paradiso. Which I've still never seen. Totally well earned. Okay. Really? I've never seen it. Oh, I'll see it. That movie is a masterpiece. And, and knowing how steeped you are in cinema... Yeah. It you will appreciate. I think you'll appreciate it now more than you like. Because I saw it when it came right. out, and I loved it as a kid. But when you really become so precious with your cinema and that that's that theatrical experience, um, it will it will it'll swell your heart like if you were the Grinch. Like, oh man i like do me a favor when you after you watch it after my ringing endorsement yes. you have to email me and let me know what i you will think. which Please version do. am i supposed to watch though because there are two i understand drastically different ones oh the, the direct the director's cut okay, for cool. sure right. without a doubt we'll do. yeah don't don't the theatrical version's good right but the the director's cut version is just mwah, all right mm, done and done delicious done and done and best original song went to sooner or later for four color dick tracy I love Dick Tracy. I I love I Dick Tracy. It's so fucking ballsy. Vittorio Storaro's yeah. cinematography is some of the best cinematography. The fact that they stuck to they did it. four colors. They did it. You know, like some some props guy came on set with a you know, with a a brown like wallet and Warren Beatty said, "Get the fuck off my set right now. Like, get off my set. I'm gonna go make out with Madonna right now." Um, yeah. It, it, that was another movie that had the disadvantage of coming out the same day as Gremlins to the new batch. Uh-huh. So I had, I had my allegiance to Dante. So I had to go opening day, yeah. but then two days later I saw Dick Tracy and I just saw Dick Tracy. I think it was like a year and a half ago on HD and it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. And all of the um, makeup effects in that still look yeah. so good. Yeah. Like it's, it's shocking how good that movie is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, that, that movie's, that movie's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. The music's good too. Golden Globe for Best Picture Musical Comedy and Best Actor Musical Comedy to Gerard Depardieu for Green Card. Do you remember Green Card, Joe? Peter Weir picture? Of course. Yeah, with um, with Andy McDowell. Yes, indeed. I, which is funny because I didn't know that that was a Peter Weir movie until way later. I just went to go see it because it was the funny French guy yep. from uh, Cyrano, Cyrano de Bergerac. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, I, I, 
I didn't know that that was a Peter Weir. Yes, film. indeed, it is. You know, I, I haven't seen it recently, but eh, I, I think there's other movies. To yeah, see. probably so. <laughs> Golden Globe for Best Actress Musical Comedy went to Julia Roberts for Pretty Woman, which hey, like good for woman. you, but I like sorry, one. you came out in the same year as Misery. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I did like Pretty Woman quite a bit. Uh, when sure, it, I saw that one at a, but it's I not better than I Misery. S- no, certainly not. I saw it at a sneak preview. Joe, do you remember sneak previews when like the week before oh, the movie? Wait, the Saturday yeah. night? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I saw that. When you could go to school the next day and be like, fellas, mm-hmm. holy shit. Mm-hmm. I saw I saw Star Trek five before you yes. did. And then everyone would go see it and go, I'm so glad you didn't film me. That movie, this, is, this is how like my memory sticks with this sort of stuff. I not only remember... Where I saw it, which was the Town West Cinema multiplex, and it was showing with a movie that we'll get to in the lightning round called Joe versus the Volcano. Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor to a guy Joe knows named Bruce Davison, longtime companion. Hey, love, love me some Bruce Davison. Yeah, uh, you know the guy's a fucking legend. Yeah, and then you have him on set, and you're like, you know, Bruce, let's let's just let me go, let's go again. And then you go, I don't. How do you give notes to this guy? You know. <laughs> yeah. But but he's the first person to say like, I tell me yeah, what you think, yeah. you know. And then after after that first or second take, you go, all right, you know, it's like Bruce, <laughs> that's that take kind of sucked. And he's like, I I thought so too. <laughs> Holy shit! But yeah, he, he's he's a fucking powerhouse. Yeah, yeah. And the Golden Globe for Best Original Song to God, I still know all the words. <laughs> yeah, Blaze I know you fucking do. Glory from Young Guns too. Lord have mercy. Oh yes. Lord have yeah. mercy. Down in a blaze of glory. <laughs> I won't do Dennis Miller, but I'll sing that song. That's one of the few sequels that I like. Uh, not few, but there's a, there's a bunch. But that's that's one of the sequels that I actually enjoy watching more. I agree. than the original. Yep. Uh, it's just got it's it's it doesn't it doesn't uh, suffer any fools with exposition and setting people Correct. up. It just throws you into the adventure with the boys. Here we go. Um, yeah, I really, really like that movie. Yeah, yeah. It's also a much better movie than that song. And if the only thing you know of Young Guns <laughs> 2 yeah. is that fucking song, do yourself a favor and go watch yeah. the actual yeah. movie. Yeah, fun trivia. I'm sorry, I'm throwing in this fun trivia. Young Guns 2 was the the film that we watched at the Palace Theater for my 15th birthday party. Young Guns <laughs> 2 was the film uh the the film for the birthday party. I love how there's there's a there's a multiverse where that is, you know, very important trivia <laughs> in the Jason yes, Bailey world. Cuz in in my world, man, you should hear some of the fucking movies I took kids to when I went to birthdays. Let's lives. Oh man. Ah, I, didn't, I didn't have many friends after that. There we so. go. Oh well. All right. Box office top 10 number 10 presumed innocent. Decent. Pakula. Number nine, Back to the Future 3. Uh, Joe, thoughts on Back to the Future 3? If if I'm watching part two and part three together, I enjoy them. Uh, I, I enjoy the, the, the kind of long run mm-hmm. ride. Um, it, it's It definitely felt like it was a good, because when you watch all three together, the second one as like novel as it is, as being a futuristic, um, you know, right. look, you know, at that life in Hill Valley, it feels like a second act. Yep. Whereas the third one felt like a good third act as a standalone movie. I don't go, I don't gravitate right. towards it. I need to have all three films together. So number eight, Dick Tracy, well-deserved mm-hmm. number mm-hmm. seven, Die Hard 2. I do like Die Hard 2. I, look, I, I, 
I'm a big Rennie Harlan yep. fan. That guy's a mean yep. motherfucker. And, you know, there is something about Rennie's version of Die Hard, which is just just gnarly. Mm-hmm. Total Recall was number six. Total Recall. Uh, I think like our generation, we saw it, we're like, oh yeah, it's a fun Arnold movie, whatever, whatever. But then when you when you see it as an adult with a better understanding of like the incredible sci-fi storytelling that's happening in that movie, it's, it's like- Great movie. It, it, it rewards uh, rewatches in, in my experience. It holds up so well. Again, it's another movie that there is something so tangible about mm-hmm. the, um, uh, the, the, the visual effects, mm-hmm. the mats, yep. the miniatures, Rob Bottin's makeup effects. Yep. There, it, like the, the the way that Ronald Schusset and I think it was Dan O'Bannon as well. Mm-hmm. Didn't they both write it mm-hmm. or like one version of yep. it? Um, the script is fantastic, and you can tell Arnold is having a fucking blast. Yeah. <laughs> Even Verhoeven too. Yeah. Like they, you can yeah, tell that time. those guys are a match made in fucking Hollywood hell. Yes. and and they are having a grand old time spending all of Carlorco's money. It's great. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Number five was The Hunt for Red October. Great movie. This one I didn't see in 90. I saw this one for the first time, I don't know, three years ago maybe. And man, fucking still works. Still plays. Tight. Tight. There is a moment that in, in, um, in Hunt for Red October that has always stayed with me stylistically. And it's the moment where the, um, there's an actor reading Russian and the camera zooms in or like it comes around and then he turns like, and then the language turns to English. And the fact that he used pure cinema to bring the audience into the language of the film. And then for the rest of the movie, you're watching it and you know that everybody is speaking different languages all in the same room. Right. But McTiernan has been able to like, infuse you with like you know those those things that the un uses where they yes. use a little earbuds and now everyone can hear whatever yeah cinematically he put a little earbud yeah. in everyone's ear it's really clever it holds up so it holds up so well i was at a film fest no i was at i was in serbia shooting this movie mayhem and john mctiernan just happened to be in town wow. getting a lifetime achievement award for hunt like well for all of his work but they showed hunt for red october and uh afterwards i somehow was like i need to have dinner with john mctiernan and they made it. They made nice. it work. The whole time, I'm going. Tell me everything about Last Action Hero. I need to know lenses from Predator. <laughs> the guy's like, "Who the fuck is this kid?" And at the end, he gave me a big hug and said, "You got this. You know, just make your days and you'll be great." I'm like, "I've been blessed. I've been totally blessed." Nice. But Hunt for Red October, I think, is is a culmination of everything that McTiernan learned up to that point, and. He he is firing on all cylinders yeah. in that movie, and it was the first um, the, the first VHS that I ever bought for a hundred bucks because it had a red fucking it cassette. Did. It was great. I remember the red cassette uh, yep. from the video store where I worked. Yes, it was a big. I need to know the cassette. lenses from Predator. God damn it, Joe Lynch, are we cousins? Or how are we not related? I, I I will tell you, lots of seventy-five millimeters. Yeah, sure, if you want to. Sure. To Number know. four, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, there's that. Steve Barron. Yeah, yeah. The fact that they were able to create such a dark world for kids, you know, Elias Cotius in, mm-hmm. in the film, like there's something that it shouldn't have worked, but it does. And it was stylistically, you can look at it now and go, this movie is way darker than it has every right to be. But because of the fact that they're skateboarding and they're eating pizza, <laughs> you know, it, it's one to reevaluate for kids, especially now with that amazing Mutant Mayhem movie yeah. that came out a couple months ago. Yeah. This is a great way to reevaluate what the 90s saw the Ninja Turtles as, as opposed to today. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Number three, I think we can all agree they really wanted to give Pesci his Oscar for this. They just they had to give it to him for that other thing, Home Alone. <laughs> this was one of those Saturday previews that I saw. Nice. I remember going to that because I was I was obsessed with Chris Columbus, mm-hmm. absolutely obsessed. The guy who wrote Young Sherlock Holmes and Goonies and Gremlins and directed Heartbreak Hotel yeah. and and Adventures in Babysitting, yeah. I was in. Yeah. You had me at that. Funny enough. The, the reason I don't know if you guys heard the story. I'm going to keep this very uh, short. Uh, you got me on a roll. <laughs> so um, you've seen you've seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Of course. You, you know, the scene when Clark is at the mall at the mall and he's uh, looking at the very beautiful mm-hmm. woman who's trying to, you know, sell him stuff. And then he's you know, then Russ shows up. That scene was directed by Chris Columbus. <laughs> what? That was the first day of shooting. And it went so bad that. Chris had to be replaced. Whoa. He was fired from that movie. And then that's where Jeremiah uh, Shushak or whatever mm-hmm. his name is mm-hmm. came in. But that scene was a Chris Columbus directed scene. John Hughes felt so bad for him. He goes, listen, Chris, I'm really sorry that this had to happen. Let me throw you a bone. I got this script called Home Alone. I don't know if <laughs> wow. you're interested, but if you want here, just like, why don't like, I'll get you set up with that. And then, you know, then we'll, we'll kind of, we'll make amends. And that's how he got the fucking job. Wow. Okay. All right. Not a, not a bad gig. No. Fire me. Yeah. Chevy Chase, fire me from something because yes. I want that opportunity. Yes. Please let yeah. that happen. Here's the other. Here's the story I know about Home Alone from from starting and and having to abort a John Candy uh, biography. Uh, Candy's entire entire portion of that movie was shot in less than 24 hours, but barely less than 24 hours. They only had him for a day. They had to get it done in the day. When uh, when he came to set, uh, Hughes came to the set, which he didn't often, but he wanted to hang out with with Candy. The deal that they made was he offered me, he said, look, I don't have like money to pay you your rate for this. Can I give you a point on this thing? And John Candy said... You know, this is me doing a favor for my friend. You don't have to give me anything. So he turned down the point on Home Alone, one of the most profitable movies ever made, because he wasn't there for the money. He was there for his buddy. I'll take a point from Home Alone 3. Like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. Number two, the very, very uh, famous Pretty Woman. Yep. Good movie. Enjoyable. And number one, the most popular movie about pottery ever made, Ghost. <laughs> and there we have it. It's it's hard to explain. It's hard to make anyone understand uh, now in 2023 how that was the number one movie of 1990 over all over like comic book movies and sequels and Arnold doing sci-fi and all. No, everyone went nuts for this weird romantic supernatural thing because it was the end of the eighties and it was a strange time. All right, Joe Lynch, you ready to do a lightning round, man, knowing that you guys want to get the fuck to sleep. Yes. I'm going to make this super lightning round. I swear. Mike's putting five minutes on the big clock. Say what you got to say about any of them or pass. If you got nothing to say and here we go. David Lynch's wild at heart, man. Did I masturbate a lot to that? (laughs) Hardware. Man, did I masturbate a lot to that. (laughs) The Coen Brothers Miller's Crossing. I did not masturbate to that movie whatsoever, but I did get to work with Marsha Gay Harden, and I heard a lot of amazing stories about it. It's one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. Fantastic. Exorcist 3, the aforementioned Exorcist 3. Saw it in the theater. 
And it was one of the most amazing experiences seeing it in a theater with the, you know, the shot, the snap zoom shot. Oh, I do. Being in an audience that was waiting so feverishly for an exorcism and didn't get it at all. (laughs) But that shot, I will never forget. An old lady grabbed me from behind. (laughs) I felt these hands grab my shoulders. I jumped up in the air. I turn around and this old lady's like, oh, and I was like, lady, why did you grab me? She's like, I had no one to to grab. (laughs) So she sat next to me the rest of the movie. It was great. I love that movie. And I'm so glad that people have finally come to pass and see that movie as the classic that it is. Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Better than the first movie. Agreed. Nice. Tremors. Oh my God. Tremors is another one of those movies. Ron Underwood, you could not get a better pairing of Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward. Um, It's it's a movie that I'm, again, glad that people are starting to realize is a great movie. It's a horror movie set during the day. What the (laughs) hell? Alec Gillis and Tom Woodruff's uh, makeup effects is amazing. It is amazing see this movie immediately if you haven't already jacob's ladder can't necessarily say i masturbated a lot <laughs> to that movie, but there's a couple scenes that are pretty sexy i was a uh i wasn't a big huge adrian line fan until this right. movie um he, he of the lots of diffusion in the shot but man this movie fucked me up when mm. i was a kid because i did not see the twist coming i didn't see where it was going um i knew Tim Robbins from Howard the Duck. Right. So I was like, oh my God, look, this guy from Howard the Duck is fantastic. Yeah. Um, it still holds up as an incredibly unnerving film yeah. that will get under your skin from the jump. Yeah, quite unlike anything else in the line filmography, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, 1990 was the US release date for The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. Very controversial release. Uh, didn't see it. Um, like I saw it on VHS, and man, you can't do any more. It's like going to see Lawrence of Arabia and looking through a, a paper towel tube. <laughs> it does not do it justice at all if you're seeing the four by three version. I recently saw it again for the first time in years um, on the big screen. That movie is a dark, dangerous fucking masterpiece. Michael Gambon, who we just lost yeah. recently. Uh, Helen Mirren is sexy as balls. <laughs> Tim Roth is fucking hilarious in it. That movie is Peter Greenaway's um, best movie, hands down for me. And uh, and if you wanted to see something that, again, influenced suitable flesh, uh, that movie takes eroticism to a whole new level. The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Fucking awesome. I love this movie. Many Harlan rules. <laughs> I uh, I saw this movie with my parents. It's the only movie that my mom ever walked out of. Uh, and, she, and believe me, my 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 mom never walks out of movies, especially like th- these kind of movies at all. My dad, my mom, and I went to go see it. This was at a time. This is a this is a, a, a time capsule moment where Andrew Dice Clay was huge, the biggest, huge comedian movie star for a minute, for a hot minute. He was everywhere. Everyone loved him. And I remember seeing this movie again from the director of Nightmare on Elm Street Part Four. Yes. And uh, my mom walked out, and I'll never forget it. My dad looked, and not my dad and I looked at each other and went, eh, "Let's stay for the rest." Arachnophobia. Oh, another genre mashup. I mean, Frank Marshall, uh, you know, who obviously was a huge producer for the longest time, directs this movie. John Goodman is fantastic. Jeff um, uh, Jeff Daniels is fantastic. But it is again, it's one of those movies that will make you laugh. But any, even if you are have a passing fear of spiders, this shit will uh, like will get you so hard. It it's such a perfect summer like ju- July kind of blockbuster in a way. Um, I love that movie, and it, it's it's a it's a classic. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. I would say I'm going to go on record now as saying it's probably the best gargoyle uh, 
uh, creature that can be or anyone has ever done. Um, the effects are fantastic. John Harrison, who I worked with on uh, Creep Show, uh, he was a longtime Romero um, uh, collaborator. It was I grew up with Tales from the Dark Side. Sure. I grew up the Creep Show. So to take both of these kind of feels and put them together in an anthology and the cast mm-hmm. uh, was it um, Steve Buscemi. Yep. Uh, Buster Poindexter, <laughs> Ray Dong Chung, James Remar, um, who is it? Christian Slater, yeah. uh, Deborah, Debbie Harry in, in the wraparound. It's a movie that um, plays every year when we do Halloween movies. That one plays every single year. And finally, two films on a similar subject matter. I know where you're going with each this. Each written by half of a married couple, uh, Goodfellas and My Blue Heaven. <laughs> okay. I Look, we can go on for days about yes. Uh, about Goodfellas, yes. right? Glenn and uh, Glenn's book on the making of Goodfellas Fantastic. is one of the best, one of the best books on any movie ever written. Mm-hmm. But my God, do I love my <laughs> Nora Ephron, Nora Ephron's script and Herbert Ross's direction and uh, Steve Martin and Rick Moranis as like the, the most opposite of buddies. What's funny is that the fact that they were both writing them at the same time yes. where they were trading jokes from one movie to the other. And like it, it's it's amazing that you can get two sides of the mobster coin in one year that they came out within months of each other. Yeah. It is if you want like one of the best double features, trust me, I've done it before uh, with my partner where we've talked a lot about just the way that you have a creative collaboration between two different writers who are completely divergent mm-hmm. in certain ways. Um, it, those two movies fit like peas in a fucking pod. And it has one of the, my favorite lines that is often re- recorded in my house, arugula. It's a vegetable. <laughs> Nor Efron can do no wrong. That movie is spectacularly funny. Joe, that was a hell of a lightning round. Nicely done. My friend. Uh, and now we're going to throw it to our friend W. Axel Foley for a quick PSA. Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know that we're here. Joe, where can people find you on social media these days? If you're not sick of me already, I'm at the Joe Lynch on both uh, Twitter. I'm not calling it X uh, and also Instagram. Um, more importantly, I would say uh, follow me on Letterboxd. Um, I absolutely love Letterboxd, even though I should probably start getting off of it now when the movie comes out, because, man, there's a lot of mean people out there. Um, but I, I absolutely love that app, um, mainly for myself and my own edification that I can um, log all the movies. We watch a lot of fucking movies. Yeah. And uh, to be able to log all those and just my impressions, I am not a critic, uh, but I do like to give my impressions. And in most cases, I'm very positive about it. Once you become a filmmaker, yeah, I feel like it, it, you can't really shit yeah. on anyone else's movies <laughs> because someone's going to come right back and go, oh, excuse me, Mr. Knights of Badassdom. And be like, OK, fair enough. Um, but but follow me on Letterboxd uh, because, man, I watch a lot of movies and I like to share like like you guys. I like to share those movies and talk about those movies. Um, but yeah, like follow me there. All right. And one more time, the new film is called suitable flesh. It's in theaters and on VOD on October 27th. Uh, gets, it gets the, uh, the very good year seal of approval. Hell yeah. Last. Hell yeah. Um, (laughs) I am fun city cinema on Instagram, Jason dash Bailey on blue sky and letterboxd where you can find under my list, the top fives for every episode of the show. Mike, where can the people find you? Uh, I'm at brainwash lib on Twitter where I'm mostly just complaining about Elon Musk at this point. 
You can subscribe to the show on Substack, a very good year.substack.com, where paid subscribers get bonus episodes, bonus writing, and much more. You can also hear those bonus episodes with an Apple Premium subscription. Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of 1990? In 1990, I would have said pump up the volume, and I'm frankly not <laughs> mad. I'm not embarrassed or mad to uh, to it's admit fine. that now. Uh, I still it's love fine. that movie. I don't think it's yeah. entirely nostalgia, but man, I still like Gleaming <laughs> the Cube, so I, of course I'm going right. to still like pump up the volume. Uh, sure. But the movie that has really like stuck with me all this time is, is um, Paris is Burning came out in 1990 and you know wow great choice we know how editing works we know how directing Mm -hmm. works but it's Mm -hmm. not full of narration it's not you know it is allowing the the people who are in the movie to speak for themselves and to experience their lives and it's about basically sort of the voguing scene in new york right before you know so like it's a it's a gay dance scene where everybody's sort of showing off and posing and putting on costumes and 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 so honest but it all sort of happened before madonna made some of these people very rich and famous or Mm -hmm. just totally took over their scene and ruined it however you want to look at it it's up to you these they are some of the most glamorous people you've ever seen on on screen and also most of them are missing some teeth and don't have a plan to replace them you know you can you can smell the sweat on the floor um, it, it feels that it feels personal like that. And it really feels, uh, involved. I saw it just maybe six months ago. I'm lucky to have a couple of really nice rep theaters around here. Um, and, a uh, a, a basically sort of a trans community center, uh, in Portland put on a screening of, of Paris is burning at one of our big, uh, movie palaces. And I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of people that came to see this movie. People were dancing in the aisles and voguing and shit while the movie was happening. Like it lives and breathes now, I think just as much as it did then. Um, I, I just fucking love that movie. I can't say enough th- nice things about it. So Jason, try to find something new to say about Goodfellas. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, are you not going to do Goodfellas? I'm not going mean... to do Goodfellas. I'm going to do the film that I have, the only film from 1990 that I've maybe watched a comparable number of times uh, to Fair. Goodfellas. And that's uh, Bill Murray and Howard Franklin's Quick Change, which is right. one of the great, one of the, I'm sorry, one of the great New York movies. Like, not just one of the great New York comedies, yeah. one of the great New York movies, lensed by fucking Michael Chapman, who shot Taxi Driver, yeah. for God's sake. <laughs> so, like, that's Pedigree, where we're coming Pedigree, baby. Pedigree. Pedigree. Um, with, it, and, and I still, like, whenever I show it to new people, which I try to do all the time, I, I, showed it to a friend very recently like the great thing is to let them go in blind so they think for the first half hour that it's gonna be a feature length like dog day afternoon as a comedy basically yeah um and it does that beautifully like i could have watched that movie for 90 minutes but then at the 30 minute mark they get away with the bank robbery and then they spend the next hour just trying to get the fuck out of new york city and that (laughs) is beautiful that is like you know it's it's a perfect double bill with after hours like it's got that same kind of like nighttime nightmare thing happening in the last half hour so flores flores para los muertos um (laughs) Murray is great in it. Uh, 
as he always is. The thing that I love about it when I watch it now is that he really kind of gives Gina Davis most of the laugh lines. She is the funnier Mm -hmm. of the two of them in that. Randy Quaid is like fucking madman in it, and he's great. Fuck, Stanley Tucci shows up in a supporting role. Like, um, there it's the the cast is loaded with great New York character actors, and Jason Robards is just marvelous in it as you know Chief Rotzinger who's chasing him down. It's so much fun. It's funny as shit, and it is that you know one of those last gasps of sort of 80s New York before it got all cleaned up and even some of that happens in the dialogue there's stuff in there where he's like I can't believe they're tearing these things down you know and it's it's one of those great 80s New York movies that is fully aware of what a shithole the city is and still kind of loves it anyway so I adore Quick Change and will never miss an opportunity to talk about it Joe Lynch thank you again for coming on the show Guys, thank you so much. Uh, again, I'm so excited to listen back to this. Not that I need to hear the sound of my own voice, but uh, just to be able to chop it up with you guys and talk about cinema. And again, one of my favorite years, Yay. a pivotal uh, year in film for me, uh, was an absolute delight. I love the fact that I love this format. I love what you guys are doing. Thank you. I love the fact that we got to end this on Paris is Burning. Like, <laughs> this is one of the greatest podcasts ever i'm just gonna put it, the stamp right now boom it's done it's 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 in the lexicon there we go um, but you guys are doing the cinema god's work thank, thank you. you thank you so much joe shout out to the brookhaven multiplex uh and the and the education you received there thank you mike thank you jason and thank you for listening <laughs>